Hallelujah. How many of you are thankful tonight that because of Jesus, you and I don't have one single thing to be afraid of? Notice the message of that song said, you split the sea so I could walk right through. When you consider the motivation for having no fear, as Gerald preached on Sunday morning, not, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, a power, love, and a sound mind. Uh, we, what we bring from that, what leads us to a place of no fear is understanding what he's already done. Did you notice that? Uh, in other words, if you split the sea so I can walk right through, why would I be afraid? But you and I can even further that statement by saying, if you spared not your only son, right, if you gave even him for me, what in the world would I be afraid of? And uh, aren't you thankful for that tonight? What a great way to, to, to start our time together. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Psalm number 85. And I want us to hurry up and get started because, well, I hadn't preached uh, in English without a translator in a while, and I'm maybe a little rusty, um, but I've got about six messages prepared for tonight. And uh, I saw some of you, when you looked up, you looked a little nervous, you know, but don't be nervous. We're going to, it's going to be fine. We're going to get in this thing and have a blast together like we do. We always have a lot of fun together, don't we? If you're our guest tonight, we don't, we, we pray that you do not just are bored to tears. We hope that you have a good time. Uh, getting in the Word of God. We don't look at this as a chore, do we, church? Uh, we get it fired up, man, about what God's about to do in us and teach us. And so uh, Psalm number 85, the title of the message is Restore Us. Restore Us. Now, uh, oftentimes when you think about restoring, I think about people who take old things that maybe have uh, lost their original luster. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, a car, uh, after some 40, 50 years here on the earth, is not the same shine, doesn't have the same new car smell, come on somebody, as they do when you get them, right? They lose their luster. They begin to rust. They begin to, moths begin to eat, and they kind of, all kind of stuff happens to them. And so there has to be a restoration process. It's, it takes a lot of energy and effort to take and bring something back to a good, like new condition. And so tonight, I want you to think about something in your life maybe that you wish was restored. Sometimes those broken things that maybe have lost their luster, that aren't what they once were, that are less than what they once were, can be things like relationships. How many of you maybe have a, re a relationship in your life that you would like for God to restore? Raise your hand. If you, if, if you have a, one relationship that you wish, all right, most of y'all are in pretty good relationship with everybody. Uh, I have some relationships that I wish and hope that God would restore. How, how many of you can say maybe that? You know, don't raise your hand right here, okay? Disclaimer. Uh, disclaimer. Keep your hand up. How many of you might would say that your marriage has lost a little of the luster that it once had? Maybe there was a season back there in the rearview mirror that you were closer than you are now. Uh, that you were getting along. Oh, I'm stirring up some stuff, aren't I? Uh, that you got along a little better than you are right now. And so, and so tonight, when you hear the psalmist talk about restoration, maybe the first thing you think about is that, man, you really wish that God would restore, that he would bring back to a former great condition uh, your marriage relationship. Maybe it's a relationship with a child. Maybe it is a relationship with a friend or maybe even in your work. Or maybe, hey, maybe this, maybe your health is not what it once was. How many of you tonight would say that there's an area of your, oh, let me, yes, thank you for that question. Uh, if you, I'm just getting fired up now. I've got to slow down and hit the brakes. Um, has anybody, does anybody here need an outline? We want to make sure you get one of those. Would you raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one of those? We need just a few. Wow, less hands I've ever seen raised. Great. Thank you all for helping me hand those out as, as so well tonight, okay? So hand those out, get those out quick. I've got just a few over in the corner over here. Um, if y'all pass one over there, into the, over to the far end, there you go. Um, and so back in the back right there, all right, got one coming right behind you. Look over your shoulder. There it is. And so uh, as we dive in tonight, so some things that you'd like to be restored. How many of you, by show of hands, would say that uh, in your health, in your health, in your physical health, there's something that you wish that God would restore to a former luster, raise your hand. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so a whole lot of us have some things uh, in our lives we wish God would restore. And so tonight, this, this psalm is written by the sons of Korah. It's a prayer psalm. And so what you're going to do is to hear tonight a prayer asking God to do something, okay? Um, but before this, the, the authors uh, get to a place of asking God to restore, uh, they make some statements about God, okay? And so what I want to do is read Psalm 85, watch this, in its entirety. Let me look at your face. Some of you are like, man, I'm too tired to read the whole thing. Uh, so, uh, I want to invite you, if you're physically able, to stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word. Now, if you can't stand physically, remain seated and stand in your heart, okay? This is just an act of respect and adoration for the, let me say this to you because you need to hear this over and over, the inerrant, perfect, infallible 
Word of the living God. That's what you have in your hand there. How about that? Isn't that good news? And uh, it has the power to save. It makes wise to salvation. It has transformative power. How many of you know that? The Word of God can transform how you think and therefore how you live. And so tonight, Psalm number 8. Can we all smile together one time? And by the way, what a great looking group, man. Wednesday night, filling this place up. Thank you for that. And I hope you'll be back next week. And let's see what God will do, okay? Psalm 85, beginning in verse number 1. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the inequity of your people. You have covered all their sin. And in this peculiar word, the word is selah. Now, remember that word means to ponder, to slow down, to pause, to reread, to, uh, to you, maybe in the country you've heard this phrase before, chew the cud, right? You bring it and just kind of roll it around and think about it some more, okay? Um, so we're just, we're going we're gonna to come back and do that in a minute, all right? So verse number three, you have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Now, you see verse 4. Read it with me, the first two words. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? I want you to get that, in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace. And he'll speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly, which is foolishness. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and the righteous shall look down from and righteousness rather shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps. Oh, isn't that beautiful? His footsteps, our pathway. Okay, let's, let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me? <clears throat> Father, I thank you for the opportunity tonight to preach back at this place where you have planted me. Uh, and I thank you for calling me here. And, and Lord, uh, I pray tonight that... Uh, I'm so thankful, God, that the interpreter in the room is your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, God, I don't have to pause. And, Lord, although I thank you for the assignment in Africa, I thank you for what you did and how you used these people to support financially and in prayer in all kind of ways. You brought many into the kingdom. You encouraged many pastors. And, Lord, I thank you for this gathering of believers that, that participated in that, even from afar. But now, Lord, would you sit down in this room with us and, God, would you help me to proclaim the great truths found here in Psalm 85 uh, that, Lord, have been true for eternity. You said your word is settled in the heavens. And so, Lord, since it's not debatable, since it's, it's unattackable, and, Lord, I pray tonight you'd help me to preach it with power and clarity and grace and truth. And, Father, I ask you again to do it in such a way that you prove <laughs> that you can use a nobody from nowhere and you can use anybody anywhere and God, tonight, get all the glory from using such a simple-minded man as myself. And Lord, as you do that, as you do that, preach to me because I need it. Uh, preach to us. Give us ears that hear every word, that it would be right from the mouth of God and to our, our, our hearts and our ears. So give us understanding to the Scripture tonight. And we pray that all together in one accord with great expectation because we've seen you do it over and over again. So do it again tonight, God, and do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, uh, someone asked me earlier, how many verses do you intend to cover? I said, I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. And so uh, you, you say, well, yeah, the only outline only goes through verse number four. That's okay. I got an outline in here. Amen. And so we might run on past that. I don't know. We'll see what God does. Um, but what I want to do is rewind back to the beginning of this thing. And you have an outline there. And so I want us to just sort of walk through this thing together. Someone said to me, I want to kind of bring you into something, too, because someone said to me, you know what, <clears throat> we ought to just start meeting and do nothing but pray and read, read Scripture, and because that's how God's been sort of spurring revival around, you know, the world. And what I say to that is be very careful uh, that we don't just do something to do something. Uh, let me explain. I got up Tuesday morning, <clears throat> and I said, you know what, I, got, I fell to the trap. I said, we may just get up this morning, and I already had a word on my heart. God already gave me a word. And I said, ah, we may just get up this morning and play some music and, and have people read Scripture and pray. And, and because, boy, it's been sweet and good. And God said to me, I want you to preach the word. 
And I got to thinking as I was on the side of my bed there about 4.30 a.m. on Tuesday. And, the, and I got to thinking, I said, you know what? Uh, someone said, well, this is what we ought to do. But I said, wait a minute now. What did Paul tell Timothy? He didn't tell Timothy to just bring the people to a microphone and have them repent. He didn't say have them just sing songs. Uh, Paul told, does anybody know what Paul told Timothy? He told him to preach the word. He said, preach the word. Preach the word. That's what he says. All through the New Testament, we see the encouragement of the preaching of the word of God from the man of God to the people of God by the word of God. And so tonight, here we find ourselves once again. And so I hope that you came hungry, and I pray that you leave full. Okay? So number one in your notes there. Look back with me, if you will. If you'll notice with me, the outline, if you will, sort of breaks down into before the, the sons of Korah, uh, Korah ask anything of God. And then when they begin to ask him, they ask him several things. But the first thing they ask him is to restore us. It's found in verse number 4. But before they ever ask of God to do something for them and in them and for, not just for them, but understand that these words are for the nation, uh, for, the, for the people that are referred to oftentimes as Jacob or Israel, right? And so what, he, what they're asking him to do is to restore, to, to turn them back, to bring them to a place where they are white hot in their commitment and their love and their worship of the one true God. But before he gets to the place where he asks God to do something, he declares some things in verses 1 through 3 about who God is. Now, listen to me. What you're going to find out is because of, listen, who God is dictates what God does. Does that make sense to you? Uh, Because he is who he is, he does what he does. In other words, because of who he is, there are certain things he will do. And because of who he is, there are certain things that he will not do. Look at you guys. You could be preaching the message tonight. So, Because of his character, they're going to ask him something based on who he is, okay? So let's look at the first few verses together and see what it is that he is asking uh, or what he is declaring about about God. Number one, he makes this statement in verse number one and the first part of one. Now, you notice in your outline I got a 1A and a 1B, and someone uh, sometimes maybe in your mind you're thinking, where'd you get that A from? Well, it's just that verse one has two thoughts to it, if you will. Do you notice that? So the first one, I just... It's easy to refer to it as 1A. Here it is. God has shown, write this word down in your notes, favor to his people. Favor to his people. Now, as you're writing, I want you to think. There's a purpose to that. Uh, It's called kinesthetic learning. You're thinking, but kinesthetic is doing. So you're writing the word favor, and your mind is processing all that you know about the word favor. So I want to engage you in that. What does the word favor mean? Well, let's consider some of the application. How many of you can say that you have a favorite person? No, we're not supposed to do that. Uh, You have some people that you favor over others, right? How about those? Can we be honest with each other? Would you say that maybe, maybe you favor those who have your same last name? Yeah, some of y'all are like, ain't no way. You don't know my family, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, we have a tendency. We do. We have a tendency to favor our families. We do, all right? So, favor means that you're showing something special to somebody. Does that make sense to you tonight? Uh, You have a favorite. It's going to be evident because of how you treat them, what you say to them, what you do for them, right? How many of you are part of a sibling pack that's more than one? In other words, your parents had more than one child. Raise your hand. All right. Now, great. Look, there's a lot of us. All right. Here's my next question. How many of you think that your parents had a favorite? Raise your hand. Boy, look at some of y'all like, yeah, some of y'all said their name. Yes, Sarah. We know Sarah. Sarah's always... I didn't mean to hit a nerve with you tonight, but yeah, why would you say that? Because you have seen some things, you've heard some things that mom and dad or grandmom and granddad or, or, or whoever maybe did or said for them that they did not do or say, somebody shout yes, somebody shout yes, uh, some things that they didn't say or do for us. Um, and you would say that based on who you are, because I know you're good people. Because of who you are and who they are, there was really no reason, right? Now, some of y'all are like, doggone right, uh, that they favored them over you. Now, now, let's make application here. God has shown favor to his people. Now, the Word of God teaches us that God causes the rain to fall on just saved people, Right? No, heavens no. He said he causes, by the way, you people are people of the book. You said that with confidence because you know the Bible says God causes the rain to fall on the just and the 
Look at you guys. Y'all ought to be teaching somewhere. I'm telling you. So, so he calls it, but, but would you also agree that if you compare the life of an unbeliever to a believer, there is most definitely some favor benefit on the life of the one who's put their hope and trust in Jesus? Yes, heaven, relationship with God, Holy Spirit, the church, the Bible, understand all kinds of benefit and favor to those who are his people. Now, remember this. You're not his people because you are Jewish. You are not his people because you're inside a building that for whatever reason we have begun to call the church. Uh, you are only his people if tonight you have come to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. There is no other way into the family of God apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know that, say amen. Uh, no other way. So, so you can only say you are his people if you have trusted in Jesus, confessed Jesus, uh, surrendered to Jesus, and called him Lord of your life. Okay? If you hadn't, the good news is it's not too late. Okay? So uh, God has shown favor to his people. And I want to ask you a question. How many of you can say... Now, you can think of some things other than the things that I mentioned. I mean, I, I, can I just tell you I mentioned the big ticket items? The favor of the Holy Spirit, the favor of heaven, the favor of relationship with God. Okay, <clears throat> I want you to think about your life like on the everyday terms. Um, could you think of some things in your life that you say are certainly the favor of God? Can you think of anything? Uh, I want to start. Let's talk about a few of those, okay? I want to start. Mine, and she's not in here. She's probably in the nursery, yeah? She's in the nursery. Uh, one of the greatest evidences of favor in my life is Tina Fant. Uh, y'all, I wish y'all could have seen when I'm over in uh, Africa and I'm talking to some of those pastors that, that don't really know my family well or some of the Africans that can speak English and I show them a picture of my family and they say, that's your wife? <laughs> now, I don't know exactly how to take that, right? <laughs> Except that I see your doggone right. That's the favor of God. I call it the fog, favor of God. Uh, Tina Fant is the favor of God, some of the favor of God, beautiful on the inside and out. Uh, was talking to somebody today about her, four kids. She got them ready for 17 years, got them ready for church. Every time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, never complained, never said I'm too tired, never said I want to lay on the couch, never came to me and said I wish you wouldn't, I wish we didn't always go to church. She's the favor of God, I'm telling you, and I could go on and on. She's the favor of God, but then I could, well, I'm, I'm going to stop there. It's your turn. All right, Quincy, tell me something that's the favor of God in your life. Restoration of your marriage. Hallelujah. You don't deserve that, but you got it. I don't deserve Tina, but, but he gave her to me, right? All right, well, somebody else. Uh, Matt Tins, what, what is, uh, some, tell me something in your life that is the favor of God. Hallelujah. Man, I think about how we grew up, things we did. Now, I'm not going to tell on Matt, but we've known each other for a while. Matt won't tell on me, all right? But we would say there's no way under heaven, uh, under heaven that God would give me and you little souls to take care of, <laughs> right? No way that he would do that, but he did. It is the, listen. Favor of God that he would give Matt and me daughters and sons to say, here, I want you to shape them. I want you to, I'm trusting you with them. Souls, they're eternal. Here they are. Can anybody think of anything else? We'll take one more. Somebody raise your hand. Right, what right here, Chad? Rescued you from your reprobate mind. Nobody could do that. It was a favor of God, wasn't it? He didn't just save you, but he rescued you from your reprobate mind. So we could all go on and on and on, but we must declare tonight, before we get to asking him to restore, the place where we can confidently ask comes from the fact that he has shown favor to his people. Would you agree with that? Say amen. All right, here we go, number two. Number two. I'm, and by the way, I'm having a blast already. I knew I was going to be able to with you. God, number two. God has, here it is, number two. Still in verse number one, by the way. Somebody said, we better hurry up. We're going to be here all night. Number two, God has brought his people out of captivity. Captivity. God has brought his people where out of? Who did he bring out? What has God done to his people? Brought them out. Brought them out of captivity, okay? Uh, notice I did that. Said it about ten different ways, and you get it right every time. Uh, God has brought his people out of captivity. The sons of Korah, as they're writing this poem, this poetry prayer, uh, they're saying, now, God, before we ask you what we're going to ask you, we are reminding ourselves how we could dare even ask you what we're about to ask you. How, how I can, do you ever feel like, man, I can't ask God again? Anybody in the room besides me ever feel like, man, I can't ask him again? I mean, I asked him last time, and then I did it anyway. 
And I asked him to help me, and then I did it anyway. And I asked him, and here I am again. And so we feel like sometimes we can't, but the sons of Korah are reminding themselves that they are not asking God to do something based upon who they are or on their performance, but they are coming before the high king of heaven based upon who he is and what he's done. His track record, and by the way, he has a perfect track record. And I'm so thankful. So God has shown favor to his people, but God has also brought his people out of captivity. Now listen, it's in verse 1. He says, you have brought back the captivity of Jacob. Literally what that means is you have brought us back, the people of Jacob, the people of Israel, God's children, you've brought us back from captivity, right? Now remember, the sons of Korah have not seen the Jesus that you and I have seen crucified and resurrected. This was before it ever happened. And so they're looking back to Israel's history and how time and time again they would grow close to God and things would go really, really well and then something would catch their attention. Maybe the women of the land, and they just sort of disperse, and they start worshiping other gods, and because when you worship gods that aren't gods, things go south really fast, and so when they did that, things would get bad, and they'd cry out to God, and God would send a deliverer, and he'd deliver his people, and they would get, things would go great, and they'd walk with God, and then something else would catch their attention and draw them away, so it was a terrible cycle they were in. Does this sound anything like your life? But they're still able to come before him and say, I, need, I want you to do something, Based on the fact that you've shown us favor, we look back and we see that you have shown us tremendous favor, but God also, you have saved us from captivity, captivity that we deserve, captivity we create. How many of you know we've created captivity in our own lives? I've involved myself with things that snared me. Can anybody else amen that? I've involved myself with temptation that set its hooks in me and took me way further than I ever thought I would go, cost me more than I ever wanted to pay, and I stayed way longer. Way longer than I thought that first little taste, that first little deal was ever going to cost me. And so they say, God, we, we, we're, we're asking you, have, we're reminded that you brought us out of captivity. So let's talk a little bit about how can you and I relate thousands of years after this psalm was written and this group of sons of Korah are writing it in relation to Israel's relationship with God. How can you and I relate? I'm glad you asked. Look on your notes there. There's several verses I want to highlight for just a minute, okay? You like that in your notes there? Aren't you glad? You ain't got to look up. I say, I'll just look right down. There it is for you. It's like having a buffet right at your fingertips. And so I want you to look first in Colossians, uh, excuse me, I want you to look in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Read with me in your head as I read out loud. Giving thanks to the Father. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, and he says, he said, I want you to do this and this. And he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Boy, that's good news right there, isn't it? He has, here's what God has done. You ready? Now, we're talking about how can we relate to uh, Israel, the Jacob, being delivered from captivity in all kinds of places where they were Babylon and, and Egypt. And, and how can we relate to being slaves to something? Here it is. He said he has delivered. He's talking to born-again believers. He has delivered us from the, somebody help me, power of darkness. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Meaning this then, before I knew Jesus, I was a slave to the power of darkness. Did you know that about yourself? Did you know that? I know that about me and I, I want you to know that about you. And if you're here tonight and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, it's like Blaze Sunday morning right about here. When he came to me and he said in my ear, he said, I'm trying to do good, but I can't do it. He said, I'm trying to be better. People are encouraging me to be better. I'm trying to be better, but I can't do it. And I said to him, you can't get clean before you get in the shower. <laughs> he looked at me a little bit strange like you're looking at me right now. I said, you'll never have the power to defeat darkness in your life until Jesus comes to take residence because he's the only one who has the power to defeat darkness. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you thankful there's somebody who can defeat the power? So we can, how do we relate? How can we relate to the Israelites? Oh, easy. We were once dead and lost in our trespasses, and we were under the power of darkness. Now, I want to give you another picture. Just read a little further along with me, okay? Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 15. Uh, I want you to see he, the Scripture says this about Jesus' triumph on the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he, meaning Jesus, made a public spectacle. Now, do you know what it means to make a public spectacle of somebody? It, it, here, here's a word you could put in there to, on the side of your notes, embarrass. Have you ever had anybody embarrass you? Uh, and so what happens, somebody does something outside of your power, and when it happens, you just want to kind of hide somewhere, right, because you just so uh, utterly are embarrassed. He says, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of the power of darkness. Jesus did. He made a public, he embarrassed Satan. 
How did he do it? Triumphing over them in it. Now, let me read just a little, another passage to you. It's in 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Y'all following along with me? Isn't that neat how she's right there? You know, here, so let's read, all right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. We know that whoever is born of God does not. Now, remember, uh, literally in the, in the Greek, that, that literally says does not continue sinning. You read that in New King James, you think, uh-oh, <laughs> I may not be saved because I sin sometimes. Um, this phrase here is a present perfect tense of the verb, and it means that we sin now, we sin yesterday, we continue in the same sin all the totality of our life. Do you see the difference? Yes? I'll maybe get a whiteboard out, y'all. I'm just have to draw some pictures. Y'all just staring at me, okay? So we know that whoever's born of God does not continue to practice it. They don't continue in it. He sets us free. He changes us. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. In other words, the wicked one doesn't touch him. The wicked one no longer touches the one who's been delivered from captivity. Are you with me? Let me show you here in the end. Verse 19. We know that we are of God. Who? Those who have been born again. But on the other hand, the whole world, in other words, those who have not been born again, lies under, y'all reading with me, the sway of the wicked one. Now, again, the translation here is a little bit tricky, under the sway of the wicked one. What in the world? Have y'all ever seen those snake charmer things like on the cartoons when I was little? You know, they play do-do-do-do, and the little snake is getting charmed. You know, it's no longer a threat. It's not going to bite anybody because he's playing the little tune, you know, on the, on the cartoons. The picture here is that Satan is, well, that's kind of a cute example. He's not really playing the flute. What the literal picture here is laying uh, prostrate on the ground, face down. And to have someone more powerful than you standing on your throat. And not having any ability whatsoever to resist the power of the one who has their foot on your throat. Do you get the picture? Now, who is that? Everybody who's not born again. It's your sons and your daughters, it's your neighbors, it's your coworkers, it's your parents, it's your children, it's your spouse. It's every person who's not been born again. You wonder why in heaven's name you can't break free from the chains? That's why. There's the picture. You don't have the power. You can't get clean before you get in the shower. There has to be the one who has all power, the one who made a public spectacle of Satan on the cross that has to come and take residence inside, and he breaks the chains and bursts the yokes of our bondage. And so we can relate to the sons of Korah when they say, you have brought us back from captivity. We are no longer slaves of fear or sin or the power of darkness because Jesus Christ has delivered us. Oh, I wish somebody was smiling here on a Wednesday night. That's good news tonight. So uh, we are reminded, again, now I want to just kind of remind you that the basis of what's happening. <clears throat> Before they ask him to restore, they acknowledge the fact that they don't deserve it, but they're petitioning God based on who he is and what he's done. Let me tell you what that does for me. It reminds me in all my failures, I can still go to him. And, and, and all the things in my life that are my fault, and can I tell you there are a lot of things that are messed up in my life because of my fault, and I want to I turn the mirror on you. Ready? Now, y'all well, aren't looking very nice to me, so I'm going to turn the mirror and let you see how you're looking at me for just a minute. I'll turn the mirror on you and say there are a lot of things in your life that are your fault. Uh, you know, gossip or, or, or slant, what, whatever, whatever the sin is. We do it to ourselves oftentimes, right? And we scratch our head and wonder why life is in the shape it's in. And yet, even though we can go to God and ask him because of who he is, he has shown us favor all the days of our life. Somebody ought to shout amen. Uh, we can say he has brought his people out of captivity. I'm a free man. Hallelujah. I told somebody the other day, I ought to be in jail somewhere. I don't know about the statue of limitations, you know, from back there in my past. Some of y'all looking at me, are you serious? Yeah, I'm real serious, dead serious. But thanks be to God, I'm free of man's law and I'm free of God's law because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Isn't that good? So, I've been brought out of captivity. Number three, look how fast y'all are listening. God has, write this word, well, this word right here will sound good to you. God has forgiven his people. <laughs> oh, mercy. Uh, let me ask you a question while you're writing. We're going to do two things at once. Have you ever done anything wrong to anybody? Uh, if you, here we go. We're going to just see who's, who's being honest tonight. If you're in this building and you have ever done anything wrong to another person, would you raise your hand? Oh, my goodness. Now, look around. Now, hang on, hang on, because some of y'all are like, you ain't never said you're sorry. Look, they got their hand up. They're admitting, right, every single solitary one of us, men, women, boys, and girls, even the people running the cameras raising their hand, you know, even the preacher's raising his hand. 
because we have done people wrong before. But at the same time, let me ask you a question. When you've done those people wrong, doesn't it feel good when they offer you forgiveness? You know what I mean? Like when they genuinely forgive you. They, they don't have to. Um, you can't force them to. And you really don't, we don't deserve for them to. But then they forgive us. Man, I'm, I don't know about you. It's one of the greatest feelings on, 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 in this life when somebody forgives you for doing them wrong. I have a quick little illustration that happened. Like as I'm writing this out and studying this passage, uh, I grabbed Tina's AirPods the, the other day. And, and so they look like mine. Y'all looking at me mean. I, I grabbed them. I, they were on the table, and I grabbed them and came into the office. And she messaged me. And she said, hey, did you, did you grab? And I was like, oh, man, yeah. So I'm looking on my desk. There's two pair, uh, both of our pairs there. On the, and so uh, I said, hey, just I had some meetings, you know, going on, some counselors going on. And I said, if you'll just swing by and text me, I'll bring them out to you. Okay? Y'all tracking with me? So she, she, she does that. And so uh, uh, my phone's laid face down, and I'm engaged in, the, you know, counseling and things. And, and about 45 minutes, an hour goes by. And I pick my phone up, and there's a series of text messages that have come through that I didn't know. And the first one said, leaving the house. The second one said, pulling in. The third one said, it was one word, here. Y'all knew, see, here. Each one of these, if you looked about 15 minutes, or about 15 minutes between each one. The next one said, and just hang with me. Never mind, I'm leaving. <laughs> so, all right, I picked it up. I'm like, oh, gosh, you know. Had her come all that way, messed her whole schedule up for the day, and then I didn't even take him out. So then I say, I'm so sorry I didn't have my phone. And she said, you ready? It's fine. Now, hang on, hang on. <laughs> see, half of y'all, listen, you see that? Half of y'all are like, uh-oh. Some of y'all are like, oh, that's so sweet, you know. Because you know like I do, it's fine can mean a lot of different things. Right? Right? It can. So, so I'm reading. I'm like, uh, and, I, and I've said, oh, boy, this could mean a lot of different things. And so I give it a little time, and, you know, and I call her, and I, and I, and I, and I just I try not to assume anything, you know. And so I call her. When I call her, she's in a good mood. Everything's great. So it was the it's fine. That she goes, oh, that's so sweet. It was that one. And so in that moment, I thought, man, I'm a rascal. You know what I mean? And, and, then, and then I thought, man, it sure does feel good that she's not mad at me. And I said, God, you gave me an illustration, like real time. <laughs> and she has to forgive me a lot. Y'all can imagine. Um, and so forgiveness feels really, really good. But listen, what I want, I want you to think about for just a minute is this. Um, the, 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 the major offense of your life is not what you've done to that person that you raised your hand up for. That's not the major offense of your life. See, some of you thought about people you've done wrong in the past, maybe people that you cheated on. There are people in here that maybe you had an adulterous affair on your, on your spouse in the past, or so, and you thought about that hurt, and you thought about, man, that was just a terrible thing I did, or you thought about the fact that you couldn't quit drinking and you just kept on, or whatever, whatever the thing was. You just think about it, and it makes you feel terrible. But let me tell you something. That is not your greatest offense. Your greatest offense is breaking the law of God. And every single one of us has done it, is doing it, and we'll do it some more. And yet what God has offered me and you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, his son, is total, unconditional, all-time forgiveness. <laughs> Woo! Can you think about that for a minute? I mean, that is, it's fine, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's fine. Uh, I, I, I'm thankful that God's it's fine is the it's fine because Jesus paid for you. It's fine because his blood was enough. It's fine because he was righteous enough to fulfill all the requirements of the law where the areas you failed, he fulfilled. And so now it's fine. Amen. It is. It really is fine. And so he says, listen, listen to what Sons of Korah says in verse number two. You have forgiven the inequity of your people. God's done that. And he's done it for me and you, listen, past, present, and future. Now, some of y'all in here, and you say, wait a minute now. I was a part of a denomination that said, you know, if I sinned right away, I had to repent. If I didn't repent right after I sinned, I was going to hell. And I say, good gracious, alive, what, a, what an offense to the cross of Jesus Christ. If your salvation hinges upon you being able to repent with your last breath, why did Jesus have to die? So it was one time for 
Amen. Well, I got an amen over there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Boy, it will make me preach, son. Oh, go ahead and calm down now. You'll get me fired up. So, so a lady said once, I was reading an Ironside book once, once looking at the eternal salvation of security of the believer. And a lady approached him one Sunday, and she said, now, I was raised in this denomination that said, you know, my sins are not forgiven for all time. Only the ones I repent of and confess are forgiven. And he said to her, and she said, it is ridiculous for you to tell me that my future sins can be forgiven even though I've not yet committed them. That sounds logical, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Anybody? But here was his response. He said, ma'am, my question for you today is, how many of your sins were future when Christ died 2,000 years ago? Oh, somebody help me. Which ones? All of them. All of them. So you want to talk about living your life forgiven, not wallowing in shame, uh, not being paralyzed by regret, but knowing that if you are in Jesus Christ, you truly are forgiven in, in, in ways you can't even really, and I can't even really wrap our little small finite minds around. So why don't, why don't we just start living forgiven and begin really embracing the mission and sharing Christ with people and telling them about what he's done in our life and know that we have truly have been in Jesus forgiven. Let me give you some verses. They're in your notes there. Look down with me. Verse number, y'all with me? Colossians 1 and 14, which says, in whom, y'all with me? Under number three, God has forgiven his people. In whom we have, how do we have that? Oh, so it's not our good deeds. It, redemption doesn't come by my ability to repent of my sin. You understand? And i got to say one more thing to that. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to, but i got to say one more thing to that. To, to say that if I don't repent of a sin before I die, I'm going to hell, is a misunderstanding of the word hamartia. Now, the New Testament Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means not just the laws of God I have broken, but it's an archer's term. It is the term with which an archer aims at the bullseye, but he misses. She misses just a fraction from the center of the bullseye, left, right, up, down, any direction. And the center of that bullseye is the perfection of God. Now, here's my question for you with just a little logic. How many of you can stand to your feet and say, every thought I've had today, every word I've spoke, every inaction and action I've done has completely measured up to the perfection of God's holy standard? I'll tell you which ones of us. None of us. And that's why we need Jesus. And he met the bullseye. He met the mark where we could not. And because of that, in whom we have redemption through the blood, his blood. The forgiveness, here's what he says, the forgiveness of sins. Let me move down to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Read along with me. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, has made, help me, alive. And he's made you alive together with him. With him, having, here it is, forgiven you. Which one of your trespasses? <laughs> Past sins, present sins, future sins, the ones you know you've done, the ones you don't know you've done, the ones you premeditated, the ones you accidentally did, all of that sin, the precious blood of Jesus has washed clean as if they never happened. Amen. Hallelujah. Now you're beginning to see how they can dare come to God and say, now I need you to do something. Because that's who he is. That's what he's done. So we can confidently walk with him. We don't crumble in fear of God. We call him Abba, Father, Daddy. And we're able to walk in relationship with him. Oh, I'm trying to move on, you guys. Let me just a little bit more from Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Do you know what the handwriting of requirements that were handwritten uh, against you? Do, do you know who, first of all, do you know who wrote them? God did. And that handwriting of requirements is God's righteous, holy standard of the law. And because none of us could live up to the perfection of God's law, they stood in the way, the law of God stood in the way of us having a relationship with him. Maybe I would phrase it to you this way. Our inability to live God's perfect law stood in the way of us. I want you to picture in your mind's eye, maybe there's a young person in the room, maybe Nolan Gray's over drawing me a picture. And so maybe you draw a picture today of a person trying to have a relationship with God and what stands in the way, maybe those stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. But what this scripture says, read with me. <clears throat> Y'all reading with me? Re read with me what he says about those commandments. You ready? Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was, listen, listen, which was yeah, it's contrary to us because we want to be our own God and want to do our own things. And what has Jesus done? He has taken it 
out of the way. Now, how did Jesus take the law out of our way? How did Jesus remove the stumbling block of the law and our inability to live it? See, the law made a promise. If you can live this, you can live and have a relationship with God. But the promise was empty because we were short and we failed and we couldn't do it. And so what Jesus did is he moved that out of the way by, somebody help me, how did he do it? Glory to God, hence the cross of Jesus Christ. He went and took the punishment because we could not live according to God's holy, per- perfect standard, and Jesus did. What a wonderful truth tonight that he's taken it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. Let me move on if I can to number four. Look with me, if you will, still in verse number two. Can y'all believe we're only in verse number two? Oh, man, we're looking good on time. I just glanced at the little clock thing. Y'all don't know we have a little clock thing. I don't ever see that, but tonight, for whatever reason, I just saw it. <clears throat> number four, number four, write in your notes here this. Okay, there's a blank there. Write it in. God has covered the sins of his people. He's covered the sins of his people. Now, I'm about to do some teaching. Y'all ready? Are y'all having as much fun as I am? I missed y'all. I'm just telling you. You try to see this happen with an interpreter. Yeah, yeah, just picture it in your mind's eye, all right? <clears throat> so tonight, God has covered the sins of his people. Listen to verse 2. So he says, you have forgiven the inequity of your people. And then the second phrase of verse 2, you have covered which of their sin? All their sins. So there's nothing coming out under the edge of the blanket. I'm thinking sometimes about, uh, about covering up with a blanket and how we want to be, when we're cold, we want everything covered, right? And so I want you to look with me at a couple of verses. First of all, Romans chapter 3, 24 and 25. I want to give you a word, and the word is, it's underlined in that verse. You see the word that's underlined? Will you say it with me? It is the word? Propitiation. You love that word, don't you? <clears throat> Propitiation. It's a deep word. It means appeasement. Now, let me work with that part for a minute. Um, A crying baby. When a crying baby is hungry, there is nothing that will appease the crying baby except to feed the hungry baby. Isn't it awesome when when you find yourself and they're, isn't it amazing how quick them little jokers can get loud? And if you're bottle feeding or whatever, you're getting the bottle ready and you fumble and stuff because they got an alarm. It's like an alarm. It's like... You know, the alarms that go off, you don't know your code anymore. I mean, you don't know your name. You don't forget everything. It's so loud. They're like an alarm going off. And, man, you're trying to get the powder out and you're trying, or whatever, you're trying to heat the milk up out of the little pouch. And, and it's just, man, you can't hit the buttons. You forgot how to work your microwave. It's sunreed on which side the hot water's on, on your sink. And, and you're trying to do all that. But, man, you're fumbling. They're crying. They're getting louder. They're getting louder. They're getting louder. And you fix the formula to get it warm just right. You put it on your wrist, make sure it's not too hot. And you pop that sucker in their mouth. And then what happens? Whoo, glory to God. Listen, listen to me. They're appeased. Now, in the scenario of sin, who was it that was unsettled? God. Why? We had offended him. You, and you back there, and you, and you back there running the camera, and the guy preaching. We had all offended him by breaking his law and being our own God, doing our own thing. And he was not, there was wrath, you see, because we had unsettled and we had offended God. And that's why it's so hard for people to come to salvation. You, you don't understand. The reason you need a Savior is because you've offended God and broke his law. And what he says, listen, what he says here, wow, beautiful, is that God has been appeased. Now, I don't want you to see God get in a bottle. I, you understand. I just gave you that to understand the intensity and then the peace when appeasement comes. So how was God appeased? Was God appeased because we go to church enough? Was God, now just stay with me. I want you to answer on the inside. Was God appeased because I may throw one in there on you and trick you. So just hang on, listen. All right, was God appeased because we prayed a prayer? Was God appeased because we did some good deeds, because we sold all our stuff, gave it to the poor? How was God, he was offended because we broke his law. How was he appeased? Well, let's read, all right? Put your eyes on Romans 3, 24 and 25. Being justified freely by his grace, meaning we didn't deserve it. And and we were justified through the redemption that's found in, say his name? Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a, or an appeasement, as the one thing that could appease the offended party. Nobody else could. God set him forth as a propitiation. How did he do it? By? Oh, mercy. Because the Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, Hebrews 9, 27. So there had to be shedding of blood, but not just any blood. The bowl of blood of bulls and goats, the writer of Hebrews said, could never take away sin. But the Lamb, the one Lamb, the Lamb of God, who John said takes away the sins of the world, 
bled and died as the appeasement. He, he, he satisfied the wrath of God. Through faith, you see that, not good works, to demonstrate whose righteousness, not ours, God's righteousness. Because in God's forbearance, he's passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why? He's looking forward to those in the Old Testament saved the same way you and I are. Their faith looked forward. Our faith looks backward, right? Faith was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. His faith was the fact that God was who he says he is and that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And that in the very beginning, he said to Abram, right? Or he said to, in the very, very beginning, he said, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. You know who that seed is? He has a name. Jesus. So the propitiation. Anybody learning something tonight? Now remember the word covering. Word covering, okay? Come on down just a little bit. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become. So Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous. Wow. Now, I want you to think for just a minute. It's the same word. The word propitiation is the same word used in Exodus 25 and verse 17 that in the Hebrew of the Old Testament translates mercy seat. Now, look, y'all got your thinking. Y'all locked in on Wednesday night. I figure somebody will be looking at the ground going, come on, dude, get to the end of this thing. You're learning something. The mercy seat, what is that? You remember the Ark of the Covenant was the box? And in that box was the tablets. There were some other things in there, but the tablets. You remember the Day of Atonement? There would be an offering, a blood offering, a lamb offering. And that blood offering, that lamb offering, the blood would be dipped in hyssop, right? Would be dipped in that blood. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies where nobody else could go in the temple, right? And they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it on the top, the covering. See, the, 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 if you imagine, if you will, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Sort of a rectangular in shape. And it had a cover on the top of it. On the top of that cover, you guys remember several years ago when I brought one in here and we talked through it? And on the corners of that thing were cherubim. Those angels with the, angel, with the wings pointing forward. And the middle of that top was referred to as the mercy seat or the lid or the covering. And that's where the blood was sprinkled. And God said, that's where I'm going to meet you. That's where I'll meet with you. That's where I'll deal with you. At the mercy seat, at the covering. Now, I want to show you a New Testament example. You ready? Same word for propitiation. If you follow the history of the Hebrew word all the way into the Greek, and as you watch study languages, you find out that word propitiation comes all the way from the same word translated mercy seat. And so what God was showing way back there in Exodus 25 and verse 17 is that the way that he would deal with me and you, the only way he would ever be able to deal with me and you is at the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood would be the covering that would allow us to experience mercy and grace. And in order for me and you to have right relationship with God, he provided a covering. Somebody, y'all with me? I'm reminded of in the New Testament of the example of the parable of the wedding feast when they go out and invite people to the wedding. And the, the, wedding, the one who threw the wedding feast comes in and he sees the those that are dressed in the right garments, but then he sees those who are not dressed in the right garments, and he said, you're not dressed in the right garments, and he tells them, cast them out into outer darkness. Because you can't stand before God as a sinful human being without the covering, the right garment, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of y'all, the light bulb's like, boom, 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 boom. Isn't that good? Now, y'all are missing that, man. I don't know. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, sort of like the milk I had in my cereal this morning. Y'all, listen. That's eternal truth that God decided to put into language and examples and put down on a simple level where somebody simple as me and you can get it. That he would deal with me and you. That he would even have a relationship with me and you because Jesus shed his blood and was now willing to be our, here's the word, propitiation or appeasement. Or here's another word. You ready? Covering. Covering. I'm so glad that not one ounce of my sin is sticking out from underneath the covering of the righteous garment of Jesus Christ. Let me say that to you again. I'm so glad that not one ounce of my sin is sticking out of, there's not a piece of sin, sinful thought, sinful deed, sinful action of commission or inaction of omission. None of that sin is exposed. Why? Because Jesus covers me on every side. Man, I'm telling you, now you're starting to see why they can say, we're going to ask you something because this is who you are. So what have you raised your hand about that you need God to restore? You don't have to sit tonight and weigh it. Have you been good enough? You don't have to come in the doors tonight and evaluate your life and say, well, I cussed a few times today. I listened to the wrong music today. I cussed somebody off in traffic. I was unfaithful in the past. I'm divorced. I had an abortion in the past. You don't have to weigh the sins of the past and let that paralyze you from talking to God and asking for the restoration that he, listen, that he already wants to give. Boy, it's good, isn't it? Man, that's so good. I'm telling you, he's restored my life, and I don't deserve it. 
and he's still restoring my life. And I don't deserve it. And that's the whole point of this is that it's because it's who he is. He's that kind of God. Aren't you thankful he's able to restore? Let me close if I can. Are you ready? Finally, number five. How about that? It's uh, one blank and one word, right? You know what it's going to be. According to verse number three, come on, preachers in the room. Y'all are all preachers of the word. You know the word. You're getting where you can preach and teach. Uh, according to verse number three, the first part of verse three, what do you think goes in that blank? Look at y'all. You could be teaching this thing. By the way, part of the reason I give you expositionary preaching verse at a time is so that you know how to study it when you're on your own. And you're, you're learning how to look for things. See that? On your own. And that's, what I want, that's, what, that's part of what we're doing here, all right? So in verse number three, can, can we read that one together? <clears throat> now, now, hasn't he painted a beautiful, oh, wait, 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 wait. I got to, I got to, mm, I almost missed verse three. Have mercy. Where's the staff? Are they in here? No, Gerald's sick. And Jerry, Jerry, you know I was fixing to miss verse three. I can't do that. Uh, verse three, you have taken away, listen to the, I want, you, I want three words to resonate with you tonight. You have taken away, all right, can we all say it together? Say it like you mean it. Yeah. Three very important words. All your belongs to God. Wrath. Okay, now quickly, I need to ask you some questions. Y'all okay? Everybody all right? Any stretch or anything? No? All right, good. I'm going to rock on. Wrath. My question for you tonight is, how do you know about, now don't answer it out loud yet. I want you to think through it. How do you know about God's wrath? How do you know about God's wrath? Somebody said, man, I, you know, I did some things wrong and this, is, this bad thing's happened. I know that's the wrath of God. Hang on. How do we know? Let's go, let's, fir let's first start Old Testament, okay? How, how do we know about the wrath of God? Somebody from the Old Testament, tell me, there's a thousand examples. But let's think about the most catastrophic that happened, you know, early on in human history. The flood. God destroyed what? The whole earth. Minus no and his family. Now, <clears throat> we think about the flood account and we teach our children. And have you ever noticed that when we teach our children the little paintings of Noah's Ark, you never see all the dead bodies floating on top of the water? Now, please don't laugh about that because that was somebody's sons and daughters. Have you ever noticed that? There's never, they're never in the painting. There's always a little dove with an olive branch. There's always an ark, and it's just the sun shining, and it's just so beautiful. But here's what I want you to say. Have you all ever watched when a flood happens and the ants float up in those piles? That was the bodies of humanity. And there were, the Scripture says that they were numerous. Population was all over the world. And God said, I have had it with the, with the sinfulness of mankind, and my wrath has reached a point where I'm going to respond. And I've warned, and I've warned, and I've warned, and I've offered, and people keep rejecting me, so the time has come now for me to pour my wrath out. And what happens? A few people, those people, no one his family come inside. But now you think about that third person. Think about Noah's cousin. Think about that one that said, you know what? Where y'all going? We're going in the ark. Well, hey, can I go with you? No, you can't. And so all of a sudden, the door sealed up, and the rain begins to flow. And all of a sudden, it's knee deep, and then it's waist deep. And all of a sudden, can you just imagine for a second what the claw marks must have looked like on that gopher wood? Thousands of people. Around that ark. See, when you, when you go, by the way, when you go to Kentucky, you don't see claw marks on it. It ought to have claw marks all over it. And I'm sure that they clawed and they scratched. And I want you to see a family maybe like mine of that day, a family of six. And I want you to see what it was like as they floated maybe together, maybe not, depending on how fast the water came up. But if they were able to stay together, how long they clung as a group floating in the water until finally somebody's cramps got enough, they sank and they were gone. And then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. And bodies all around bloated and floating. The wrath of God. It's a horrible thing. I notice how your attention sort of seemed in you. Boy, we were talking about the cross and the blood and Hallelujah. And grace and mercy, we want to dance. But you'll never get a full picture of grace and mercy in the cross until you get a full picture of the wrath of God. Because just as gracious and good as God is, He's also full of wrath and vengeance and justice. And so, let's go forward. Remember the time when a couple of God's people got to talking about God's man Moses, and they were talking, they were just talking about it. That's all they are talking about. God, what did He do? Split the earth open and closed it back on them. You could hear them screaming, the Scripture says. Wrath of God. Let's fast forward to the other end of the book, Revelation. You start reading about the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, right? 
And, and you read to that stuff like, and it amazes me how people try to teach it. I heard one guy say, and the, the locusts are Black Hawk helicopters. And I, and I said, it's nonsense. You can't prove that. Don't teach it that way. It's in the imaginations of man is just incredible. You know what? But here's what suffice to say. Listen, the Scripture says it this way. That when the wrath of God starts being poured out on the earth, all right, here's what it says. It says, men sought death and could not find it. So just imagine. The locusts are eating your skin. They're eating your, you're eating your, your, your vegetables. They're eating everything. They're eating everything. And finally, it's gotten so horrible that you say, I can't take it another minute. I'm jumping off this bridge. I can't take one more ounce of this horror, of this terror, of this wrath of God. And I'm jumping off this bridge, and you run and take a start. And listen, it took a lot. You had to, it took a lot of torture. It took a lot of horror. It took a lot of unbelievable things to get you to that point. Finally, you take a run and leave, and you hit that pavement. Bam! And you get right back up again and realize you can't escape the nightmare. That's what that verse means. They, they wanted, they sought death. They couldn't find it. The wrath of God. It's a terrible thing. That's why Paul said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So then, we now take a look at the greatest example of the wrath of God. Okay, now I'm going to introduce it with a question. Growing up, when I would hear the account of the crucifixion, I had this question that, that always resonated in my mind. Here it is. See if you can relate. Why didn't they just hang him? Why didn't they just run a spear through him? You know? Why why couldn't it just be? Has anybody ever thought that in mercy? Now, y'all are very merciful people. I'm saying, why couldn't it just be quick? All right, I'm going to ask you again. Maybe I surprised you with that. Anybody in here ever think, you know, I I wish he wouldn't have had to die such a horrible, slow, yeah. And so... But then I began to study the scriptures, and I, I started to get a little picture of the wrath of God. And so, do you know the scripture says that by his wounds, plural? And do you know the scripture says that by his stripes, plural? Wounds. Hmm. How was Jesus wounded? Well, let's walk through it. Remember the garden that night? They arrest him, they take him away. Some of the first things they began to do is to slap his face. That's wounds you. Every one of those was ordained of God. They punch him with their fists. They grab his beard and pull patches of it out. They blindfolded him, struck him, and say, you're so smart, you prophesy, you know everything. Who is it that hit you? They took him and put him in a purple robe like a puppet king. They gave him a reed, which is a piece of grass. It's like a cattail. And they they simulated a sepulcher, which is a king's golden rod. And they put that in his hand. They took a crown of thorns. They mashed it down on his head. And after they saturated his face with saliva, they wounded him with the piercings of the thorns. And they struck him and slapped him and beat him around. And the word of God says, by his wounds, the wrath of God. Every one of them were necessary. Every stripe, every punch, every kick. Because the wrath of God is not an easy thing. It's not a small thing. And so, as the story unfolds, they take him then and chain him to a rock. And they begin to beat his body with what's called a cat of nine tails. Those tails have sharp objects. As they strike the body, it pulls flesh and muscle away from the bone. And they didn't do it one time as they striped him. And he'd already been beaten and slapped. And they struck him again in three times and five and seven. And each one of those excruciating. And the word of God says, 39 lashes by his stripes. Plural. Every one of them necessary to appease the wrath of God. And after 39 lashes... They pick him up from there, and they take the cross member of his cross, and they put it upon his shoulders. But because Jesus had been beaten a little bit more, he had been uh, tortured a little bit more than the common criminal, he was unable to carry his cross up the hill. And you remember, Simon the Cyrene is there, and the Roman soldiers pull him out, and they put Jesus' cross member, and he carries it up the cross and the hill, and he gets there, and they drive nails through his wrists and feet. You ever thought much about that? The first lick, it probably buried an inch or two, I don't know. But it had to separate muscle and ligature and and then into the wood but just barely into the woods the second strike the third strike the fifth strike everyone resonating in the one wound and then to dislocate the joints with rope to pull him as far across as they could because they didn't want to have the strength as he's hanging there and they drive it to the other hand and he says by his wounds plural with an s and every 
single one of those was necessary to appease the wrath of God because of your sin and my sin. And they stacked a foot on top of the other, and they drove a nail through the bones of his feet. One, can you imagine? That's sort of a weird thing because the feet kind of flop, you know. And so one nail, they probably sprang a little bit and resisted the nail. And then a second lick and a fourth lick. And finally, they start penetrating the skin and muscle and bone. And finally, the first time into the top of the wood, just barely in top of the wood. And so they have to keep driving. And every one of those licks were necessary to appease not Satan, not, not, not the Roman soldiers, but the wrath of God. And they crucified him there. Now then. Let me read those three words to you again. You have taken away, listen, all your wrath. Here's what that means for me. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I deserve the wrath of God. But God has not dealt with me according to my sin. Instead, he dealt with Jesus according to my sin. And he got wrath and I got pardon. You understand, listen to me, let me tell you something why, why people say, Tina said, I heard you, it's 6.30, you came on. He, she said, you're sitting there singing. I said, well, he's home. She said, it was nice and quiet here in the mornings, but now you're singing and you know why I sing? I'll never taste one ounce of the wrath of God. You know why I smile? You know why I keep going? You know, I go to Africa and, 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 and with an interpreter tell people that there is a Savior who can save you from the wrath of God and bring you into a relationship with the Heavenly Father and give you His Holy Spirit and plant you in the church and use your giftings and the other giftings around you to make you become more like Jesus a little more every day. You know why I do that? Because I'll never face God's wrath. There's no chance I'll ever face the wrath of God. Now, I don't know about you, friend, but that's now, now, okay, now I get it. I can go to him in prayer and say, Lord, I need restoration. I don't deserve it, but based on your track record, nothing, listen to me, nothing I've got do I deserve. So I can ask you, and I'm not ashamed to ask you, and I can ask you boldly, and I can ask you in my failure, and I can ask you even when it's my fault, and I can ask you with expectation because you've already proven who you are. Oh, they came to him and they said, restore us. Listen to verse number four. I'm finally getting there. You have taken away all your wrath, not some of it, all of it. You've turned from the fierceness of your anger. Verse number four, two words. Say it with me. Restore us. Restore us. How in heaven's name could somebody who draws close to him and fades away, draws close and fades away, draws close and fades away, gets close to him and goes back to sin, gets close to him and goes back to sin. How could they ever, how could they ever, how could you ever, how could I ever dare look at God and say, restore me? Because that's who he is. And that's what he desires. And boy, that's good news today. So tonight, here's what I want to do. I notice I'm in the red. And uh, somebody, I won't name any names, told me a little earlier that while I was gone, nobody was in the red. But I'm in the red. I'm not sorry for it. I'm not at all. But what I want to invite you to do is bow your head with me. And I want you to think about the crimson red blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for just a moment. Bow quickly, all right? I know you got a bunch of stuff. Pack it up, set it up to the side. And as quickly as you can, bow your head and listen for the Spirit of God. And I want you to think about, as I mentioned red, I want you to think about that red flow of blood that ran from his side and his wrists and his feet and the crown of thorns that mashed down on his head. And I want you to think about for just a moment what Jesus went through and why he went through it. And tonight, I want you to, if there's something in your life that needs restoring, I want you to get up out of your chair and come down this altar and begin to ask God for it. Get up right now. Come on. Would you stand with me and make room for people? Would you do that? Stand to your feet just now. Make room for people to come on down this altar and just talk to God and say, God, my child needs restoring. They're stumbling. Lord, my work needs restoring. My finances, God, I'm struggling. God, my health. I've been struggling with this sickness and the doctors can't do anything. God, would you restore? So I'm asking you right now, as the music begins to play, get out of your chair. Just come down. Just you and him. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to wallow in regret. You don't have to just sort of ease into his presence tonight. Both Boldly come before the throne of grace and call out to him and say, oh, God, would you restore? God, would you restore? Lord, would you restore? Call out. Whatever it is tonight, call out to him. God, would you restore? Lord, restore my mind. Restore my health. Restore my relationship with my friend. God, would you restore that wayward child? Lord, would you restore this nation? Come on, somebody. That word restore means to bring us back, to turn us back, to change us. 
somebody tonight, you've been white hot for the Lord in the past, and yet you've grown cold for whatever reason. And you don't have to, listen, you don't have to ashamedly come to God tonight. You can come to God and say, God, God, I've been, I've been cold. I've been wandering. I've been in a far off country. And tonight I come before you and I'm asking you, turn me back to you. Turn me back white hot for you. Restore me. You can, but based on who he is. Now, the chances are pretty high in a group this size. Somebody here tonight has never really truly surrendered your life to Jesus. You may have prayed a prayer somewhere back there. You may have, did, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but there's chances are high in a group this large. There's many people listening online and in this room, and, and you've missed the gospel, man. And tonight you've heard it laid out. I'm talking about crystal clear. And tonight the decision's yours. See, the Holy Spirit will nudge your heart. He'll pull. He'll knock on the door. But, friend, he will not kick it down. He's a gentleman. And so tonight, if he's knocking on the door of your heart, if he's inviting you and saying, hey, I want you to be in right relationship with me, then right where you're standing tonight, I want you to just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I confess tonight you are Lord. You are Lord of my life. Would you come? See, the Scripture says, as many as received him, only to them did he give the right to be called children of God. Where you're standing, where you're kneeling, where you're driving down the road, wherever you find yourself, listening to this podcast two years from now. And the Spirit of God is running you down. Why? Because He loves you. He wants to restore you. Would you call out to Him? Would you confess Jesus right now where you are? Lord Jesus, save me. <clears throat> if that's you, I'm not going to invite you to come to the front tonight. But what I want to do is just ask you to raise your hand like three men did. By the way, three men gave their life to Christ Tuesday morning, our Tuesday morning prayer gathering. Glory be to God. And listen, I believe there's somebody in this room tonight. I believe there's somebody in this room tonight. So I'm, nobody else is looking around. I'm going to look around real quickly. If you're here tonight and you've invited Jesus to be Lord, I'm not going to come find you just like I didn't find those guys. If you tonight have invited Jesus Christ to be Lord, I want you to raise your hand up not be ashamed. I'm not going to call you down. I see you right there. I see you right there. Any others? Just slip your hand. I see you back there. God bless you, ma'am. Any others? Just hold your hand up right where you are. Now, what I want to say to you is this. I'm not going to come find you. Matter of fact, there's too many of you. Slip the hands up. There were about four. I'm going to say, listen, please reach out to us. Come find us. We want to help you with the next steps. Some of you in here just need to return. Some of you drifted. Some of you just need God to restore. There was a time. You did confess him as Lord. You were near to him. You did turn it all over to him. But something's gotten in the way. And you felt like you couldn't really boldly say, restore me. Because, well, you know, we base it on who we are and what we've done. But tonight God's made it clear. You can ask. You can. You can ask with expectation. So please, ask. Maybe tonight you're here and you've never followed through with baptism. Boy, there's been a revival of baptisms lately. And the baptism is not happening on the right part of your salvation. Baptism happens after you surrender your life to Jesus. It's a bold declaration. If that's you, in just a minute, I'm going to come down. I want you to come. Maybe God's saying it's time for you to get, join this gathering of believers, and I want you to come. Maybe like Lawson, you feel the call of God on your life to ministry or some specific thing. I want you to come. Shane, I'm going to ask if you'll come down and help me tonight. Would you do that? Shane, maybe Dawn, would you do? You mind helping Dawn? Dawn's going to help too. Ladies, if you need somebody to pray with you, she's there. Shane's going to be there with me. Listen, maybe you're out there tonight. You just want to come on down. Maybe you just want to come tell one of them, hey, tonight I made Jesus Lord of my life. So as we sing, you let the Spirit of God direct you. Don't feel rushed and hurried. Just as the Spirit leads, you come, all right? Father, I pray in Jesus' name, have your way. Have your way, God. Revive us. Restore us. Send a revival, God, we pray. Begin in my heart. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.